0: going on everybody you are in the hacker valley studio yes, with your sir. hosts ron and chris welcome back to the show glad
1: to be back again along with a very honorable guest mk palmore field ciso at palo alto networks and very distinguished character in cybersecurity.
0: i can't wait this yes. is gonna be a good one <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the
1: show
2: thanks for having me guys appreciate oh, of course. being here
0: for uh, all the listeners that, that don't know who you are yet Tell us a little bit about your background, because uh, it, it seems to parallel mine a little bit, but obviously to a completely different level. So, yeah, just let us know a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are today? Cool.
2: Field CSO, Palo Alto Networks. been on board with Palo Alto for less than a year now, and uh, prior to that, finished up a long career with the Federal Bureau of Investigations. I was a assistant special agent in charge, which is uh, part of the executive team for field office, and I led the uh, cybersecurity teams for FBI San Francisco. Uh, 22-year career in the Bureau. Before that, I was a United States Marine. Hoorah, simplified <laughs> devil dog. I was an officer in the Marine Corps for five years and, uh, again, spent a total of uh, 32 years in the government. i uh, wow. happy to be in the uh, private sector now.
1: That's amazing. So how long have you been in private sector now? Very short amount of
2: time, about eight months or so. Oh, okay, uh, still great. kind of making the transition.
1: Welcome. Yeah, welcome.
0: <laughs> Thanks. It's good, to, it's good to be here. <laughs> a lot of the time, I mean, it's, it's just that initial transition that's like the hardest for people to get. How, what would you say led you to success to make that transition?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, part of it's timing, right? You have a timetable that you're originally working with. But also, you know, for as much grief as people give government employees, many of us do, I think, come to the table with – uh, specific skill sets that you can leverage in the private sector, right? This ability to get things done. You pretty much have a very much can-do attitude. You're able to operate on your own with very little uh, direction. So, you know, it's like they point you in the right direction. You can go and make things happen. And so that, that's how I approach everything. My goal is to hit the ground running. I did understand, and I'm still learning. You know, I, I do understand that, you know, um, you spend so much time in government, you do have to make a mental shift in terms of what's going on in the private sector. And to boot, I'm in Silicon Valley, which is a whole different beast and monster oh, yeah. when you compare it to other uh, private sector entities. So it, it's very interesting.
1: yeah yeah to say the least. So what are some of the distinctions and differences between field CSO and traditional CSO?
2: Yeah so for Palo Alto Networks, the field CSO role is uh, it's very interesting. It's much more a cyber evangelist than it is anything else. you know I'm, I like to call myself a hired communicator. Right. Um, you know, I come on board to a company like Palo Alto Networks, which is undergoing significant change in terms of its product line. I had to learn the product line very quickly right. and bring to the table the understanding of the product line with my own background in terms of understanding of the cybersecurity trends and the landscape. And then you have to meld that into a message that we're expected to deliver quite frequently because there's lots of travel involved. Basically, I'm in front of customers all the time talking about what that new product line looks like and to try and level up relationships.
0: Right. Was there anything that you had to do on a, on the personal end to make the transition? Was there anything that didn't apply when you you transitioned over? Did you have to take any classes or anything like that to to get the lingo of commercial?
2: No. So, I mean, one of the things that that I uh, you know, I give a pat on the back to the FBI for is that they understood many years ago that they needed to sort of level up the educational skills of their cyber workforce. And so to a large degree, probably 80 percent of the classes, certifications and just pure cyber academic background that I have was paid for during my time in the FBI. And so the la- there's no difference in the language. I mean, in fact, as you all know, my understanding of the threat landscape is probably a lot more in depth than most civilian folks because you also bring that national security Uh, component to the table, but really just sort of understanding the private sector landscape. You know, you you drop into a new place. Business operations are different in a private sector company than they are in the government. So I have to get used to who's responsible for what, how to get things done. And so you spend probably the first couple of months figuring out who's who in the zoo, who you need to have relationships with, who has the ability to influence decision making. And quite frankly, I'm still working a lot of that out.
0: I hear that.
1: So I bet it has to, uh, must have been a great transition, a great experience to go through those motions. What, how did you get involved in the FBI and what does that previous uh, government experience look like?
2: Yeah, so as I indicated, I was a commissioned officer in the United States Marine Corps. At the time, I was stationed in San Diego literally living the dream, you know, on my free time weekends at the beach, I still have a a distinct love for the city of San Diego. I think it's one of the best cities on the planet. Loved to vacation there with my family. But really, I got to a decision point professionally in terms of what it was I was going to do with my career. I decided to get out of the Marines. I was thinking about law school. In fact, I had taken the LSAT and I was thinking about trying to apply to law schools to see uh, which one I would go to. And then a, a very close friend of mine, another Marine officer, one who I started the Naval Academy with, mentioned federal law enforcement, that he was thinking about going into it. And so I picked up a book. And the next thing you know, I was back at Quantico becoming a uh, FBI agent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very, very quick. I, You know, I I probably use that as an excuse. I probably really did not want to go to law school at the time. So he (laughs) he he proffered this other avenue, this other vector, and I jumped on it and, in fact, got into the FBI before he did. He's still in. But, you know, probably not odd, but a lot of Naval Academy graduates, lots of officers from the U.S. Armed Services end up being FBI agents. In fact, mm-hmm. you can't walk into an FBI field office and not hit a, a veteran one, and then you're sure to find uh, a couple of Marines sprinkled around.
0: That's mm-hmm. awesome. What about your, your, your computer background? So. When you went to the FBI, did you, you start out as a field agent, and you kind of worked your way into this position where you're doing a lot of cyber operations stuff, right? Yeah. And so so uh,
2: yeah, I mean, so I had what I'd like to consider a storied FBI career. I'm I'm one of those guys who w- walks out at the end of a 22-year career. I got a chance to do everything I wanted to do. So I worked violent crime cases. I was on a couple of FBI SWAT teams, you know, so I, as oh. I like to tell audiences, I was literally a black ninja you know, <laughs> <laughs> for, for several years of my life. I mean, that's a fantastic experience. It gives you a, a real depth of experience in crisis uh, response, crisis right. operations. You know, I worked and supervised organized crime, white collar crime, and things like that. But what really uh, got me pointed towards uh, the cyber mission space? You know, I worked back in the early 2000s. A um, at the time, what we called a uh, cyber terrorism case. It was when the FBI first started to sort of look at uh, terrorist use of the internet, and we began to dig deeply into you know their chat rooms and what it was that they were doing in terms of passing messages and how they were leveraging the internet for operations, for membership, for building their cadre of people. And so worked a, a fairly significant case in that realm, that reignited re my interest in cyber matters. And then when the opportunity came to take a leadership position here in FBI San Francisco, I competed for that, luckily got it, mm-hmm. and then really went about sort of building my academic cyber base along with being able to see the operational investigations that my teams were investigating.
1: So when you and I originally met, we were doing a panel at Palo Alto Networks and speaking to uh, some college grads and they were all curious about how did they get the experience to kind of do the things that we're doing. So when you were working at the FBI, what were some things that gave you the advantage to to land that job?
2: well it was the experience of having conducted a few investigations in the cyber terrorism space and then quite frankly because it was a leadership position my leadership skills are really what sort of got me into that executive position what i did that not everyone does is i doubled down on it and i took the i took it upon myself to sort of go back and get the educational stuff built in too you know so mm-hmm. i went back and i did the the entire SANS management track, right, luckily right. the FBI <laughs> paid for all of that. <laughs> As we were talking earlier, SANS is a wonderful organization. Yeah, um, very it's much it's so. nice when your employer makes that contribution right. uh, and, and doubles down on the resource development and allows you to attend courses. Not only did I attend courses, but you know, I made it a management mandate within my teams that everyone attend at least two courses a year. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you know those six. You sit in a course for six days. There's typically a certification associated afterwards. So there's a lot of work that goes into those two courses. I doubled down on that. Went through the entire management track on my own. I went through and studied for and got the CISSP. Mm -hmm. I recommend that as a. You know, you'll hear different opinions on certifications. There are some people who are all for them. There are some experts. Who don't have any certifications and have a very, very deep knowledge of cybersecurity. I needed that educational background. And so for those who are, hey, how do I get started in this? I would recommend taking some kind of academic track, at least to get the ball rolling. You'd be surprised how many opportunities may be presented to you because you have a certification. It's not gonna right. get it's right. not gonna, you know, seal the deal, but it may get you the interview so that you can then say, hey, I'm capable of doing a lot more. Let me get in here and show you you what
0: I got. Even some of the more basic certifications, I, I point people that are trying to get into the space, to those, just to get the terminology, just to get to a common uh, vocabulary with everybody else. Yeah,
2: so you're not lost when you come into the room, exactly. right? Because the, yeah. the people who are deeply technical, uh, like the two of you, you start throwing <laughs> around the acronyms and start talking about right. concepts. And people are people are intimidated, let's face it, by yep. this kind of stuff. So you walk into a room and you don't understand it. no one says, hey, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Can you re-explain that? They just sit there.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the reason why we do the podcast is because we want to create like a learning environment for everybody that you're not always going to have the answers. Like right. I, there are many times where I sit here and I might be asking a very basic question, but because we have an expert that's sitting right here, I'm vulnerable enough to say, hey, I don't know what that is. Explain it. And so it's our hope that people feel like, hey, you know, Ron and Chris, they're these guys. We hear them on the podcast all the time, but they're asking questions. So maybe I can ask a question, no. too. It's it's part of the challenge I think, you know. I think at some
2: point during this conversation we'll probably get into the workforce challenges, right? Yep. I think that the, there's an unnatural barrier for people to get into infosec, into cybersecurity and a lot of it is about sort of being intimidated by the prospect of this breadth and depth of knowledge that people see others, you know, that they have components of it, but they're just afraid they'll never be able to never be able to wade into the pool, right? right. Yeah.
0: I mean, so, I mean, we can go ahead and launch into it right now because I, I think it's something important to convey to everybody because they see this, like, vast ocean of cybersecurity, and they're like, I can't get out there and swim. <laughs> yeah, look, look at you see all those waves. Like, right. I'm not getting out right. there. Yeah. So w- what would you want to tell to everybody that's listening right now that's thinking about doing it, but they're just like, I just don't know if I yeah. can.
2: So the first thing to you to extend your analogy don't try and boil the ocean right You, yep. you don't have to yep. swim in every part of that ocean right but you can identify a piece of it mm-hmm. where you feel comfortable to wade in yep. and you can get deeply entrenched and educated in that particular portion and then the next thing you know it begins to open up avenues for other things. So I mean my, my big recommendations would be for people to be not be intimidated mm-hmm. to find uh, again some basic fundamental things that you can start off with to expose you to the terminology to expose you to uh, the concepts. You know, I do, some, I do some teaching at the graduate level for uh, cybersecurity in business schools. And so the, yeah. the idea is to teach business students about, okay, what do you need to know about cybersecurity before you go out and aspire to be the CEO of some massive company? Right. So y- you're not trying to teach them how to be cybersecurity experts. You're trying to expose them to the terminology, make sure they understand that this is a component of enterprise risk and that it's something they're going to need to know about and how it can impact the business and so there's a ton that you can cover in cybersecurity before you get to talking about ones and zeros yep right yeah so i mean there's a lot there's a lot to
1: explore (laughs) it's such a vast topic it's almost like saying i'm an expert at technology (laughs) right yeah right (laughs) there's really nowhere you can go with that
2: which which no one is right so i i never i'm not even close to it i i've I've been in the midst of some experts, but I, I don't like using that term because people, yes, they are deeply experienced and educated in particular areas. But I don't think there is a field as wide and as deep as cybersecurity. And so uh, for folks who are new to it, mm-hmm. I say pick, pick a lane yep. and then start moving in that direction, and you'd be surprised how much you'll pick up along the way.
1: I look a lot at knowledge kind of like a snowball, like as you acquire more, it's easier to get more. It's easier to build upon that. But it is kind of, it is a little sad to start, but it could be a point of excitement. Like, all right, I have this one thing in my tool belt. Maybe I learned about red teaming. Maybe I learned about packets. Maybe I learned about whatever it is, but it's always a place. There's always somewhere where you can start. But that could also be the daunting task. So, mm-hmm. what would you two recommend for people to start? Like, what are what's that interesting starting point in your point of view? It's always relative, though.
0: Yeah, you know me. I, I always tell people to start a project. Like, if they're not able to start cybersecurity at their their workplace, start a project at home. You don't if you don't have the time to to get into like a traditional you know college degree or you know you know change it that way. Just start a project. You know, go to meetup groups. Start to just get you know, around people that are doing the stuff that you want to do. And that's where I would start.
2: Yeah, so you touched on, I I think, the idea of expanding your network of people that you're uh, around and have the ability to be influenced by. So, I mean, my start in it was a little arbitrary because I had the avenue of being in the FBI, having those investigations sort of handed to you, and you're you're forced to level up your educational level so that you can engage in the investigation. I, I do believe for folks who are starting from a blind start that there are very few resources like the government and law enforcement who will take you in with zero knowledge right. uh, and really get you spun up in a proficient way so much so especially the military if you're lucky enough to get in those lanes i mean your skills become so desirable to those folks on the outside because you're dealing with so much in terms of variety of things and Quite frankly, the military and certainly in uh, federal law enforcement, you get an opportunity to see things that the that the regular public just doesn't get a chance to see and yeah. and touch. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you've led, you know, Marines. You know, Marines are pretty smart people. Uh, but you've also <laughs> if we don't say so ourselves. <laughs> and, and you've also le- led some, I'm sure, really intelligent people at the FBI. Yeah. What are some of the secrets to leading highly intellig- intelligent people?
2: You know what the big secret is? I have an expression: "Let your eagles fly." I I will tell you that the 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 group that I led in my last assignment with the FBI, some of the smartest folks I've ever met in my life. Right. Um, Also very capable. Let them do their jobs. Mm. You know, don't Mm -hmm. stifle them. If you have uh, superstars uh, in your midst, let them shine. Right. They will do nothing but succeed. You know, the expression they use in the NFL when they talk about certain guys who are just winners, all he does is win.
0: Yeah. If
2: you have guys, that, guys and gals that win all the time, don't, stif- don't stifle them just, right. you're, just because you're not in charge or, or just because you don't have the same skills as them. Let them shine because inevitably they will help you get to places where you probably wouldn't be able to get to on your own.
1: That's a great way to look at it, especially even from a teammate's perspective, like how can you help build your teammates up? That's, that could be a, gr- a great start to also kind of learning about how to be a leader and kind of promote others. Okay? Right. Yeah.
2: yeah, promote those abilities. You know, not everyone comes to the table with the same skill sets, but where, especially where you see people shine in particular areas, let them do their thing. Because the minute you stifle them, their productivity takes a nosedive. Because they are used to operating at a certain speed and pace, based on this freedom to learn and get things done. So let you know, let them shine. I, like I say, let your eagles fly.
0: Yeah. yeah, you're making a huge transition. You're teaching, you know, the world's next leaders in, in college, but you also just started on outreach. Chapter or an outreach initiative here in the Bay. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
2: thanks. So, ICMCP, which I yep. know that you guys have had some conversations about, International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals. So, I, I get here to Silicon Valley in 2014, take mm-hmm. on this new leadership position, and in addition to having to learn a new job, As a leader, again, of this already high-functioning outfit, I had to learn Silicon Valley, right, because I was the face of this operation. I was the one out there making the speeches, the one out there being introduced to the C-suite, the one out there representing, hey, I'm the leader of the FBI's investigative element for cybersecurity in this region. It it was pretty quick. So I have this process. Every time I met a a member of the C-suite, I'm pretty big on LinkedIn. Right. So everyone I meet, I connect with them on LinkedIn. Right. I would connect with them on LinkedIn and subsequently try and do some due diligence. I'd look at the C-suite for that particular company. Mm -hmm. Then I'd take a look at the board of directors if I'm particularly interested and then sort of figure out who I know in the company. Right. And quite frankly, I did not see a lot of faces that look like my own. That's kind of been my whole life, to be honest. Uh, You know, I've been both lucky and I'm not sure how else to describe it, to be involved educationally in environments that, you know, folks that look like us don't typically get access to. You know, I went to a, a school where the acceptance rate was less than 10%, you know, so I was mm-hmm. among the 10% of applicants who got into that particular college. I go into a branch of the armed services that in terms of numbers, I'm not sure where they fall in terms of diversity, uh, right. but in terms of the officer corps, right. there's not a ton of African Americans at the highest ranks uh, yep. in the Marine Corps. And that's a, that's a function of lots of things, you know, the Marine Corps being uh, the smallest of the four yep. uh, major branches and that kind of thing. And then I go into the FBI, acceptance rate less than 5%, 3 to 5% applicants could get into the FBI. And there's a very diverse workforce, but at the same time, I'd be lying to you if I said there were a ton of African-Americans, tons of Latinos. I don't know what the numbers are. They've gotten better Mm -hmm. and worse over the years. So I'm used to operating um, at a disadvantage uh, sometimes. So Silicon Valley, I take a snapshot of it and quite frankly, uh, a little disappointed that of this major growth area in economic marketplace, which is cybersecurity and technology, there are not a whole lot of diverse faces. And so the minute I was exposed to ICMCP, which happened to me probably three years ago, the message of the organization resonated. I'm a big believer in networks. So yep. you know any opportunity to expand my network, which was how I viewed ICMCP, I jumped at the chance. And so got involved with the organization first as a member. And then with this transition to the private sector, they were looking for an opportunity to expand their footprint and I volunteered not sure if I'm gonna regret that, you know. You, <laughs> vo- you volunteer yourself for things, it just means more work. But volunteer to stand up the local chapter here in in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's daunting to stand up a chapter of any kind oh, of yeah. organization because you know, our priorities this year are membership, membership, membership. You gotta get people to to show up. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to give them a reason to show up and then you gotta reiterate that again and again and again. And so the idea is really from a networking standpoint get minorities and women together, provide a networking opportunity for them, but also provide um, keynotes who, you know, have diverse backgrounds and can sort of mentor folks and provide that kind of pathway that we all need. We all need to see, you know, it helps to see someone that looks like yourself, comes from Absolutely. a similar background in these positions of, of you know, that we all aspire to. When, you, when people tell their story, that resonates with people. And they're like, okay, I like the way he did it. I like the way she did it. I can follow in those footsteps. I can ask advice of those folks, and really, that's the concept behind ICMCP. And so, my goal for this year, um, again, newly established chapter, we had about uh, a little over 40 or so people show up for the first meeting. That's good. Yeah, Which was pretty well, recent, right? Yeah, pretty recent. Uh, back in December, um, but I got to keep that going, right? Yeah, and we got to we got to figure out a way to build on that. I t- I told the folks at that initial meeting my goal. As an interim president of the chapter would be at a Christmas function, you know, uh, a year or two years to turn over a vibrant chapter to somebody, you know, that we've put some meat on the bone, given some opportunities to network and given people a reason to get together quarterly uh, and say this is worth my time and it's valuable to my career progression.
1: So, how do members or individuals get involved in this type of organization?
2: Yeah, so I mean, you can join for free on the the website icmcp.org, and after joining, select a chapter. And of course, you know, I, I'm I'm biased right now. I got to build up the San, <laughs> I got I got to build up that San Francisco chapter. So the, the outreach to women and people of color in the Bay Area is top of mind for me right now. And so join the chapter, show up at the meetings, and we're looking for leaders too. You know, folks that feel like that they have some extra bandwidth where they can weigh in with ideas and also bring other people to the table, right? Because absolutely you know someone else out there who could benefit from this type of networking opportunity as well.
1: So what are some of the highlights from the December event?
2: So it was fantastic, first of all. So I have a pretty decent network of folks. I reached out to my network for a a keynote because I can talk for hours, but I knew knew everyone didn't want to hear from me. That wasn't going to be enough, so I had to find a draw. And luckily, the chief procurement officer for Salesforce, a guy named Craig Cuffey, volunteered to come down. Craig has a fascinating background. African-American who's ascended, you know, to, quite frankly, the highest ranks in the in Silicon Valley. He had a fantastic story to tell. And he's one of those individuals who, you know, he's like, you know, lean on me. Let me know what you need. And he he gave us some great momentum, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to leverage that relationship in the future. But Craig's presence at at the initial event, and again, you know, we had a little over 40 people there. We also conducted a panel discussion, thankfully, with some Palo Alto Networks employees. Palo Alto Networks has been a huge supporter of ICMCP. And we had some internal employees volunteer to sit on a panel, a pretty diverse panel. We had a female and some others from underrepresented communities. And just a conversation about, okay, how did you, do, how did you get this started? How, what do you do to keep this up? How do you identify pathways for yourself in terms of management positions, in terms of deepening that educational base? Right. You know, what steps have you taken? And you'd be surprised, especially the number of young folks new on the employment scene who have degrees in cybersecurity and don't know how to get a job. Right. Yes. Uh, So so they (laughs) they they all need help. It's like you got to create a ladder for people, and then you got to help them up the ladder.
1: Yep. That's amazing because that kind of goes and kind of packages up everything we were just talking about how to get started. Mm -hmm. You know how to become a leader. It's it's about the network. Yep. Yep. If you if you build upon that, you might not get to that. Might not be the answer, but it's going to give you some ideas.
2: It's going to give you some ideas, and you know I have a mentor that if you were to ask him what's the most important thing to you in terms of your professional career progression he would say the network and uh, i would tend to agree with him mm-hmm. just from what i my experiences both in the fbi quite frankly and in the private sector at the end of the day opportunities are given to you by people who know you mm-hmm. um who like you <laughs> mm-hmm. and who want to see you succeed almost in that order and if you don't, you know, so you, you can control a couple of those things, right? The people you know, you can control. That's where the networking comes in. You can't control who likes you. Yeah. So, so forget about, forget about that part. You can part. try. You can, <laughs> forget, forget about that part. But, I mean, it, you know, the, the chances, once you sort of expand your network of identifying people who have like interest and who take a liking to you, grows exponentially the more people you meet and get to know. And then, you know, their willingness to give you opportunities or, quite frankly, to point you to right. other opportunities, you, you just got to work at that. I, I don't know anyone out there who's got some great job that they have just because they submitted their resume
0: into some uh, portal. That's a very good point. Obviously, you have two members here. We're, we're definitely going to sign up yes. and you know, use this us in any way you see fit. We just started a, a series with our, our good friends at ITSP. We call the series uh, Underrepresented and we talk about gaps we talk about you know the gender gap the culture gap the racial gap all these gaps and i think in cybersecurity that is a good way to start closing some of these gaps right because Absolutely. there's such a need for people that we need as much help as we can get. So, what do you, what would you say your stances on on reaching out to people that don't know that cybersecurity is a pathway to financial freedom?
2: Yeah. So, first of all, I got to acknowledge the the ITSP folks, Sean and Marco. Yeah. Big friends of mine, and I love those guys. Yeah. They, I, the, the, they, in fact, your operation reminds me of them. So I, you guys are on <laughs> similar paths. But uh, Sean and Marco have been been fascinating, uh, fascinating, good guys to know. They've had me on a couple of times. And I like what they're doing because, like you, they're enabling all of us to sort of expand our network mm-hmm. in the cybersecurity space. So, I mean, one of the first things I try and tell people, again, we've talked about it or touched on it already, about the daunting nature of what cybersecurity looks like to people who are from the outside looking in. And I try uh, as best I can to, think, to have folks think about expanding their level of interest in a field like this and trying to get people to veer away from this idea that everything in technology is ones and zeros because mm-hmm. that that cuts off immediately a certain number of people who are like, well, I'm never going to understand that. I'm not going to be able to do that. Well, guess what? I don't know how many governance, how many policy guys really get into the technical stuff, but they're involved in cybersecurity. Many of them have cybersecurity in their title, right. uh, but they're, and they're in management level positions being in the, gov- in the GRC side of the house. There is so much to do in this realm. And again, uh, the idea is to sort of bring down that mystification to mm-hmm. folks on the outside of it and encourage them to wade into some area. I, th- I think about people who like to solve problems, right? Problem solving skills, you don't get easily deterred by obstacles, mm-hmm. and you have an—you got to have an interest in technology. Right, you, you have to. I mean, like that's one of the things. Like you can't really get—you can't get—you <laughs> can't get past that as a component. But if you have, you know, that troubleshooting mentality, this idea that you want to understand the field, you got to have some ability to, on your own, on the outside, keep up with what's going on because the industry's moving so fast. That there's no way you can expect to keep up if you just expect to show up at your job from nine to five and think that's going to keep you. Got to read all the stuff going on on the outside. You have to attend the conferences and right. the, and the security and you know the industry stuff that's there for you. You know, folks are folks sometimes have a, a lot of down things to say about conferences. And my, my thought process is that if you go to a conference and you're able to network, then it's, it was worth every dime yep. in terms of your ability to go there and pick up some additional thing that might help you along the way mm-hmm. uh, on the job you know a big one coming up here RSA right every right. person in security that you've ever met is going to be, be in town mm-hmm. yep. but quite frankly most people think of it as an opportunity to network they mm-hmm. network their tails off you know people literally make their schedules you know 10 15 minute coffee sessions yep. with nearly everybody they know so that you can get that face to face connectivity which we don't all enjoy cuz we're not all in the same area mm-hmm. you know we we like to think silicon valley is the center of the of the planet but there's <laughs> there's, it's there's, not. That, that, yeah. there's there's There's... There's great innovation and things going on elsewhere, but, you know, there are a couple of conferences, and RSA being one of them, where you can expect to see uh, a ton of folks in the same field. So it's a good opportunity to connect with those people.
1: One of the kind of uh, related and unrelated is marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've made so many connections through marketing teams. Marketing teams in cybersecurity are so well-connected. They even have some cybersecurity experience they might know about products or a very... Uh, basics and fundamentals, but I think it's kind of interesting to to see how many other different industries can help you out in your cyber career. Like if you know marketers, they might know information about events and might be able to get you into those events mm-hmm. for free. Yep. And also writing. There's a lot of writers in cybersecurity. Yeah. Great writers. Some some you know. There's there's a lot of opportunity just to even be a writer and then pivot into cybersecurity. So it's it's quite amazing to see how many aspects of just a career cybersecurity can touch.
2: Right. So that that writing piece is interesting because the the, the thought leadership uh, piece is a component of the job I have right now with Palo Alto Networks. Probably about I would say roughly 15% of what we do is sort of making sure we're keeping those keeping that connectivity with industry folks writing on pieces that we that interest us. You know, I did a recent piece on insider threat issues. I have a piece coming up on ransomware, and I'm also writing a, uh, a little bit of a book on my experiences in cybersecurity with the FBI. Oh, great. Um, yeah, that's... I got to get get to work on that Yeah, my goal is to get it done before the before the year but it's on my to-do list and and the, the reason I mentioned is you mentioned writers yeah I mean there's tons of folks who have sort of come into this space developed an understanding by it like journalists who cover it I'm I'm surprised yeah. at how many journalists have deep technical experiences yes. just from covering this field for as Cribs. long as they have yeah yeah great example mm-hmm. great example yeah yeah Lot, so- lots of ways into the into the field absolutely mm-hmm.
0: There is. So, yeah, for folks that want to continue to follow your journey, that want to reach out to you about CMCP, anything else, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you?
2: So I have a little bit of a personal brand uh, website, mkpalmore.io. Certainly, you can get in touch with me via that. You know, In addition to my duties at Palo Alto Networks and along with the thought leadership, I, as I mentioned, I keep a blog. So I do some writing on my own on the side. And really, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And you know, with Palo Alto Networks, with now 70,000-plus customers, there's probably a chance I'm going to meet you in the security <laughs> industry anyway, just sort of being out and about. But, yeah, I'm, I'm out there. I'm on LinkedIn. People are free to reach out on LinkedIn. That's a big networking connection piece for me, and I use it use it for what it's worth.
1: And quick plug, there's a, actually an event right around RSA time, right? ICMCP event?
2: There is. Uh, ICMCP is going to be holding a, uh, a reception. I believe it's the Wednesday night of RSA. i got to double check that on the details. I mean, it, as we get closer, we'll start pushing out the event times, but it'll be an evening-based event. Folks will just be asked to register for that, and of course, we'll use that as a, uh, as a piece to try and drive membership, get folks in the same room, and hopefully there'll be some speakers and some other folks to Uh, help drive interest to the event. But yes, uh, the Wednesday of RSA.
0: Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Yep, absolutely. MK, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Really appreciate you taking the time to come speak with us, you know, speak with our listeners. Uh, This was a great conversation.
2: I'm happy to be a part of it. Like I said, you guys are entrepreneurs, man. I like like the energy. (laughs) I like being a part of this. This is good stuff. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.